Uh, turn to Luke chapter 10. It's page 816 in the church Bible. And we continue in our sermon series on community. It's Valentine's weekend, so we're going to talk about a loving community. How's that sound? Um, we have been discovering together the miraculous nature of community in this series, um, contrasting our community centered around the risen Lord Jesus, from him all miracles flow, uh, in contrast with the quirky gathering for atheists that happens in different cities called the Sunday Assembly. Um, it's community just for the sake of community. It doesn't have a larger purpose than that. Um, there's nothing particularly miraculous about that, is there? But a truly Christian community is one in which Jesus is central, and it exists for a greater purpose. It's a hub of miraculous activity, bristling with the resurrection life of the Lord Jesus. And so as we've seen in recent weeks, it is a growing community uh, because Jesus sends forth the gospel through his people and uh, more people come to know him. It's a creative community um, because the Holy Spirit empowers people to creativity just as, as God uh, is our creator. And it's a multiplying community, sending out new plants so that the whole church or the whole world is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And today we come to this topic of the miracle of a loving community. We're going to look at that from Luke chapter 10. After we pray, before we, before we look at the scriptures, though, let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for your word, especially this word today. And we want to be like Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching. And so we pray for your spirit to be poured out upon us tonight. Help us to listen and to hear and to follow you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love you. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we move through this reading from Luke 10, 25 to 42, we're going to look at, at uh, three paragraphs, three things, the core of a loving community, the scope of a loving community, and the priorities of a loving community. First of all, the core of a loving community. And I want to start by uh, addressing a topic that comes up from time to time. You may have heard of the legend of the Rwandan prophecy uh, about Rez some years ago. It's also known as our miraculous history as a loving community. Here's the true story. I want to set the record straight. Uh, we had been meeting in this building not for very long, for about nine months. It was January 2005, and we had about 75 people in the church at the time, um, and we were assigned a sister church in the northeastern part of Rwanda in Nagatari. We started making plans to take a group to meet our sister church, and it was a typical cross-section of the Church of the Resurrection at the time, not that much different from today. There were 13 of us who were going. There were six men, seven women. Of the six men, two were married, four single adults, and seven women who were all unmarried all late 20s, early 30s, except for me, I was in my late 30s, and that made up the group. And we made our way to Rwanda. Um, as, we, as we left, one other thing you should know is that up until that time, I had never done a wedding before as a pastor, and we had not had any weddings in the Church of the Resurrection. 
got to Nagatari, we met our sister church, we came into a worship service with them, and during that worship service, uh, we had opportunity to all introduce ourselves to our sister church. And as we started going around introducing ourselves, as the women introduced themselves and told their stories, the Rwandan women became increasingly concerned, agitated even. And uh, eventually they convened a meeting of the Mother's Union, that's what they call the Women's Ministry in Rwanda. And the Mother's Union decided to gather our seven ladies and to sit them on the ground in the middle of the church building and then to gather all around them and to lay hands on them and to pray for them so that this blight of singleness might be lifted from them. And so that the blight of singleness back at our church in Washington might be resolved and taken away. You have to remember that this is only about 10 years after the genocide. Life was very, very important to them. They were deeply concerned that marriages weren't happening and babies weren't being born. So they cared for us. Uh, it wasn't a prophecy but it was a promise to pray for our people night and day from that point forward. So that happened in Rwanda. It wasn't a prophecy, it was a promise. And um, got back in the middle of 2005. And sure enough, in the fall of 2005, we had our first engagement. And I did my first wedding as a pastor that December. 2006, we had five weddings at the Church of the Resurrection. 2007, we had 25 weddings in the Church of the Resurrection, and uh, then we started having babies, and a lot of babies came after that. We still are having a lot of babies and a lot of weddings. Uh, we just had uh, twins born in the church this past week. We're at a rate of about one baby a week right now happening. Um, for years after that, from time to time, in our newcomers' dinners, during the Q&A session, uh, an unmarried visitor would oftentimes ask a question. Uh, just one question. Uh, is it true? The Rwandan prophecy? Are the miracles still happening? So what do you think? We still have a lot of weddings happening. We still have a lot of babies being born, and as a pastor, I love it. You know, it never gets old for me. Uh, I love doing weddings, and I love praying for babies, giving thanks for them. It's one of the best parts of my job. And for me, uh, these are living, shimmering proof of miracles in our midst. But what about when the shimmer of these miracles wears off? You know, when uh, newborns get a little older, usually it takes a while, maybe a couple of years. Uh, oftentimes it involves having to call the plumber out to dig that toy out of the toilet and get it working again. Um, sooner or later, the shimmer of the miracle of a newborn baby is gone and the mundane sets in. Uh, it happens even more quickly with newlywed couples, you know, after the honeymoon is over, pretty much the shimmer is gone. And uh, the miraculous gives way to the mundane. But that is, in fact, when love really begins to shimmer with the miraculous power of God. Life in the mundane. 
And when love means regular self-sacrifice without immediate reward. Jesus said to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And then he went and did just what he was talking about. He demonstrated for the whole world what is at the core of a loving community. What is at the core of a loving community? Not a busy wedding chapel, not a maternity ward, but the cross where our Savior loved us to the end. Our community is gathered around Jesus who laid down his life for us to ransom us from death and to give us resurrection life. Only the Lord Jesus could do this for us and only with the Lord Jesus at the core of our community will his sacrificial love continue to flow out through us. Weddings and babies are great, but the Rwandan prophecy, so-called, is not at the core of our community. What's at the center is love, embodied in our crucified and risen Lord. Take a look at the story from chapter 10 of Luke. The lawyer tested Jesus, asking, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 25. And as was his custom, Jesus responded with questions rather than answers. Verse 26. What's written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, if you had to boil the Bible down to its essence, what would the main thing be? And we do this every Sunday. We've just done it in, in our liturgy, uh, in the summary of the law, right? Uh, we remember Jesus' summary of the law from Matthew 22, when Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Read this every week during ordinary time. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus put this same question to the lawyer. What do you think is the main thing in the Bible? And the lawyer elided these two commandments together. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Just mashed them together like that. Jesus said to him, verse 38, you have answered correctly, do this, and you'll continue to live. Love is the main thing. Think about this for a minute. Of all of the priorities and commands in the Bible, love is most important. Love is the highest. It is the top priority. Think about this in relation to something like holiness. You know, holiness is something we're commanded uh, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy, over and over again in the scriptures. We sing about holiness all the time. Every time we come to the Lord's table, we sing holy, 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 joining with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. We're singing this together. Holiness is so important, and yet it's not important as the main thing. What is the main thing? Love. Even holiness is secondary to love. Do this, and you will continue to live. In our worship services, after hearing Jesus' summary of the law, summary of the Old Testament, then we summarize our sin in terms of love, don't we? We say, uh, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry, and we humbly repent. And then we renew our trust in the one who embodies the love that we're missing. 
We regroup around Jesus, who is the core of our loving community. He died for us to set us free from lovelessness and from loves misplaced on the wrong things. Gathered around him, it's his sacrificial love that reconstitutes us to who we're supposed to be. And it's his sacrificial love then that flows out through us. We heard the same point made by Paul, who wrote about this in many places in the New Testament, constantly writing about this to different churches. He wrote to the Corinthians about this because they had broken up into different cliques. And these cliques uh, were, were celebrating their peculiar, miraculous gifts. And Paul says, no, that's not the way to be. Let me show you a more excellent way, and, and regathers them around the risen Lord Jesus. It says, love is the greatest gift. Love remains. Make love your center. The core of a loving community is the risen Lord Jesus who embodies this love. Now let's keep moving through this story and think about the scope of a loving community. We're finite creatures. Sacrificial love is costly and it's only natural to want some boundaries. As a community gathered around the risen Lord Jesus, how far out should we expect his love to flow from us? The lawyer in today's story had the same question. Verse 29, take a look at it. Who is my neighbor, he asked. I can't blame him. Wouldn't it be helpful if Jesus gave us some clear black and white boundaries so we could know who we're responsible for? Some years ago in the uh, American church growth movement, uh, there was a new concept that began to be promulgated amongst pastors, a new rule uh, about what is the industry standard for a pastor's span of care. Uh, here it is. A typical pastor's span of care is seven people. Any more than that, and people will begin to fall through the cracks. Therefore, uh, the, as the teaching goes, pastors, be like Moses, raise up lieutenants, delegate to them, and that way everybody will be cared for because you only have the capacity to care for seven. Uh, and this clearly outlined for the pastor the bounds of his neighborhood. It was, it was loved by everybody because it's one of those black and white sorts of things. Oh, well, I only have to care for seven people. Let's see, I'm married, I have five kids, that only leaves one slot, it's not you, tough. <laughs> you see how, how freeing that was, right? <laughs> no hard feelings, right? <laughs> it's not just lawyers and pastors who want clear boundaries, and to know the scope of a loving community. Everybody wants to know this. Otherwise, we might be expected to love indiscriminately, to love everyone. And we know that would be impossible, wouldn't it? It would. But with God, all things are possible. With God, miracles can and do happen. And with Jesus at the center of our loving community, our neighborhood can extend miraculously to the ends of the earth. Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, starting in verse 30, to make this very point. A man, presumably a Jewish man, was on his way down the narrow, steep, and sometimes treacherous road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And while on the way, he was ambushed by robbers who attacked him, stole his clothes, and then fled, leaving him 
hemithane in the Greek, or half dead. And uh, along came two Jews who, um, presumably because they wanted to remain ritually pure, moved over to the other side of the road and kept on uh, moving by. Then along came a Samaritan, verse 33, who for Jews was the very embodiment of impurity. Not only were Samaritans ethnically impure, or mixed race, but also theologically impure, and particularly uh, when it comes to the Old Testament law, they had very heterodox views, which of course adds to the irony of the Samaritan doing the right thing in this story. Of the three, he would have been the least likely to correctly answer Jesus' question, what's written in the law. But laying aside all ethnic and theological differences, if you take out a map, one thing will be perfectly clear, and that is the Samaritans were the northern neighbors to the Jews, just as Mexicans and Canadians are neighbors for us. So it was the Samaritan who ended up loving his southern neighbor. He anointed and bandaged the poor man's wounds, and then he carried him on his donkey to the inn where he paid in advance for his lodging and promised to return and look after him. Which of these three, Jesus asked, proved to be a neighbor for this poor man? And at that point, the lawyer had no other alternative but to admit that it was the most unlikely and the most unlovable of the three, right? The one whom he could not love apart from a miracle. That's the point. Apart from the miraculous work of God in his heart, it would have been impossible. And then Jesus commanded him and all of us by implication to go and do likewise. Our love of neighbors, Jesus says, must be indiscriminate regardless of ethnicity or theology or socioeconomics or gender or sexual practices or criminal history or political affiliation. The neighbor in the red, make America great again, cap. Go and do likewise. The neighbor in the pink woven cap with a feline name, go and do likewise. The neighbor in the black hoodie, go and do likewise. It's a deeply convicting parable, isn't it? If I draw the circle small enough, I can cordon off a neighborhood in which I can love everybody in my own strength. But without the artificial boundaries that I create, I clearly do not love my neighbors as myself, at least not all of them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asks this question, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And therefore, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your heavenly Father. How in the world are we ever going to do that? by leaving our cliques behind and gathering around the risen Lord Jesus. Through him, we are adopted into the family of God, whose resources are infinite, and then in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be indiscriminate in pouring out his love. So again, the scope of our loving community is not limited to the Rwandan prophecy. We don't have to draw a circle around the kinds of neighbors that we will love. 
Jesus is this miraculous fountain of love, infinite in scope, empowering us to break whatever bonds that restrain us and to love every neighbor, regardless of marital status or babies or ethnicity or politics, age or education. And in fact, our loving community here at Res is filled with people like this. I see it all the time. I see old people caring for young people and young people caring for old people. I see single people caring for married people and married people caring for single people. I see Republicans caring for Democrats and vice versa. It's miraculous, isn't it? For the love of Christ compels us knowing that he died for all and therefore we all have died to ourselves in order to live for him who died and rose again for us. If you have been born again into the miraculous love of Jesus, then you have been empowered for this miracle, this miracle of love. You have been empowered to go and do likewise, way beyond the bounds of your comfort zone, beyond the bounds of your neighborhood, because your neighborhood now extends to the ends of the earth. Everybody is your neighbor. That's the scope. Let's look at the priorities, finally, of a loving community. And uh, the question invariably comes up, what about those complex situations when it's hard to know how to love? You know, the perennial tough love questions that come up, like uh, Daddy the Addict. How do I love him? Uh, or the questions that arise when the loving thing to do, according to secular culture, is is at odds with what God's word teaches. And I think it's with such situations in mind that Jesus finished teaching the Good Samaritan story and then went straight to Mary and Martha's house. These stories are back-to-back -back for a reason. Look at verse 40. Martha was busy doing what? She was loving her neighbor sacrificially, right? She was doing something very good. She was opening her home for gospel ministry. She was showing hospitality to her neighbors so that they might come to Jesus. What could be more important than that? Martha's sister Mary chose, however, not to help with the hospitality. She was doing something uh, else, sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching. And from Martha's perspective, this seemed particularly selfish and thoughtless. Where were Mary's priorities? How could she be so unloving? So Martha prayed and asked Jesus for relief. Her span of care was full. She needed to raise up a lieutenant and to hand off some of her responsibilities. God had raised up her sister Mary, for such a time as this, of course, Mary simply needed to be reminded of the priorities of a loving community, right? Yet Jesus did not answer Martha's prayer as she had hoped. Jesus knew that it was Martha whose priorities needed realignment. Martha was viewing the whole situation kind of upside down. So Jesus answered her, verse 41, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary. Do you remember the lawyer's question to Jesus? What must I do 
what one thing is necessary to inherit eternal life? Verse 42, Mary had chosen the good portion, the one thing, and it will not be taken from her. What was the one thing that Mary had chosen? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, but it's still the second. It's not the first. When in doubt about what is the loving thing to do, remember that love of God comes first. When I read this story with the Good Samaritan story, I'm doubly convicted. (laughs) I am guilty on both counts. I receive a failing grade in both classes. Because like Martha, it's all too easy for me to ignore Jesus or to take him for granted while I work extra hard to love my neighbors. I truly want to bless and to impress them with my industry, even if it means that it costs me time at the feet of Jesus. It's a miracle when I love my neighbors selflessly. It's even more of a miracle when I love God first. Not always, but often those impossibly difficult ethical situations, uh, those questions about knowing how best to love your neighbor, I think can be settled by just going and sitting for a while at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching. Should you attend your neighbor's same-sex wedding? The question that gets asked of pastors so often these days. Should you give more than your tithe to the church? The question that never gets asked of pastors. (laughs) Should you get involved in a dispute between your coworkers where it just seems like there's no win either way? I don't immediately know how to advise you on all these various tough situations, tough love questions, impossible ethical dilemmas, but let me tell you who does know how how to advise you. His name is Jesus, and he invites you to do the main thing, the one thing that is necessary, to go and sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. I think particularly with these difficult ethical questions, we often misjudge the importance of our own involvement in the situation. For example, if you're feeling a lot of social pressure regarding regarding the so-called loving thing to do, is it really that important that you be there? Sitting at the feet of Jesus can help you remember who the Savior really is. Sitting at the feet of Jesus sometimes means that the Lord disciplines you. And remember, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Don't despise the Lord's discipline because it's a sign that you're his son or daughter. Or what about those situations when you really don't want to get involved because of the cost or the potential risk? Sitting at the feet of Jesus may help you find courage may help you remember who will supply all your needs according to his riches, who will hold you in the palm of his hand and protect you from the snares of the fowler. 
Jesus speaks into all of these troubling, anxious situations, saying only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. Well, why not go and do likewise? Sit at the feet of Jesus, soaking up his teaching and pouring out your heart to him and learning how his love for your neighbors far outstrips your own and trusting in the miraculous love of God that can reach people who seem the furthest from him. Matt reminded me this week of these hip stickers based on Micah 6.8 that a lot of people have these days. Uh, you may have one on your MacBook. It says, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. You've seen these. Do you know what's wrong with these stickers? They leave out the most important part of that verse. Walk humbly with your God. Love your neighbor with your God because you love God first. The Lord is really the center and the source of all that is miraculous among us. He is the highest priority of our loving, miraculous community. Let's pray together. We want to be a community like this, Lord, finding our mission, purpose, and our strength to love at your feet. Trust that you are speaking to us all tonight, not just with words to convict us of where we haven't loved, but also with words of hope, words of love from you, reconstituting us around resurrection life in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.